Today's edition of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that I've been lucky enough to be using for a little over a year now. Only rivaled by the impeccable customer service that Kevin and his staff provides, CoachMe Plus's ability to constantly be amoeba-like in their ability to mold and, and matriculate what you're trying to get across and bring together is, is absolutely fantastic. Their constant pursuit of better ways and better methods and, and innovations and progress to their own product is absolutely fantastic. Go over to CoachMePlus.com, check out what they got, guys. It's, uh, it's something that I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, we have an absolutely killer talk with Coach Me Plus, a sports performance specialist and founding coach, and 2017 presenter Doug McKinney. Guys, Doug is going to talk to us today about the evolution of the strength and conditioning profession, looking at his career that lasted 30 years in the National Hockey League. We start out talking about, you know, the cultural changes that have occurred, you know, from his early time in the NHL in the 80s up until about 2015 when he was with the Sabres. We then touch upon how uh, how he looked at educating and, and teaching not just the athletes but the coaches and the management about the importance of uh, recovery, nutrition, and sleep and how he's seen that evolve over his 30-year career. We then look at how he developed a monitoring system from his time from Pittsburgh all the way to his time in Western New York and you know how all the progress he's seen in the profession, it, everything still comes down to driving conversation with it, whether it be staff or coaches or the players. And we close out, guys, talking about what he's going to discuss here at the 2017 seminar. This is an absolutely killer talk, guys. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Doug, thanks for being on with us today, bud. My pleasure. Good to be with you, Jay. Yeah, so let's just give people a quick little rundown of your story and where you've been and how you've gotten to Coach Me Plus, and, and then we'll get into the meat of it. Sounds good. So you're, you started out with, uh, with a little hockey club somewhere in the middle of western Pennsylvania. Yeah, it started with the Penguins. Uh, and, and the funny part about that was I was straight out of grad school. And, um, you know, of course, I thought I knew everything there was to know about working with athletes in general. But the hockey culture is so different, and particularly during that time frame. A lot of these guys... Um, we're coming from junior hockey. There weren't a lot of um, college players at that time. There weren't a lot of Europeans. The European influx was just at its beginning stages. We're talking about, you know, early 80s, mid, mid 80s, 84, 85. And, you know, interestingly enough, you know, the, the, the major group of athletes or the highest percentage of athletes, obviously, hockey players were, were Canadian players. And the American born players were actually starting to make their way in and um an increase in number but for me it was you know of course being i was i was from originally from new hampshire um and uh and went down to mississippi state to get my master's degree so if you can imagine the northerner down to the south that was culture shock in itself you know uh right down into the middle of the bible belt i had a dry county that didn't help much uh, <laughs> and so you know, I graduated from there and, you know, fortunately enough, got, got a job with the Penguins. And um, like I said, the, the culture is so different and their exposure to um, uh, training and 
the day-to-day work that you would do as a professional athlete it was so different. They weren't exposed to, you know, even the simplest stuff like um, going through uh, uh, flexibility, your your dynamic active warm-up, so your uh, static stretching. You know, a lot of those guys would get to the rink half hour before, you know, go and get a heat pad and put it on their backs. And then, you know, within 15, 20 minutes, they're putting their gear on and out on the ice. And that was common practice in 84, 85. And, and uh, so now we're integrating, you know, preparation. You know, we're going to do pre-work before we go on the ice and how we're going to reduce the chance for injury with regard to um, our prehab type work, like internal, external rotation stuff in the weight room. And, and all this stuff was brand new to them. You know, I thought my middle name was a swear word for sure, you know, because I heard that more often than anything else. You know, when I said, okay, let's go, boys, we're, we're ready for a stretch, you know, they, they had, they want nothing to do with it. So it took me almost two years, literally, to change the idea, the concept that we have, you know, some work to do before practice and after practice and the practice itself, you know, we're going to monitor that as well. We're going to do various different things with regard to that. So the culture was the hardest part, and the fact that you know you have to. And and what I learned was is that you really have to be good at coaching the coach, but you have to be really good at just like anything else, and it still continues today is educating the player. And so you know the first couple of years were rough, but then you know we really turned the corner, and uh, guys really saw the. Uh, the results of what we were doing, we reduced the chance for injury a lot in a lot of different ways, especially those soft tissue injuries. Um, and, um, you know, the guys grew into what we were doing. Um, so Pittsburgh, you know, was a, was a, a place where I actually believe um, I learned more about the game and more about the culture um, before I had moved on to, to Hartford. In Hartford, a whole different ball of wax because uh, um, that is it. That city is in between. It's 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 kind of it's got this little circle. You got Boston, then you got the Islanders, and then you got the Rangers, and you got the New Jersey Devils. And when you listen to sports talk in Hartford, you were talking about you know the, the Rangers, the Bruins, the Celtics. The you, you hardly ever heard the Whalers. It was funny, um, but we had a good team. And again. Uh, the 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 uh, uh, at that stage of the game, you know, these guys are being exposed a little bit more um, to um, training, um, and we're we're starting to get a little bit more of the European culture coming over and the American culture mixing in with it, and made it a little bit easier because our exposure to this uh, training at the college level has been maximized for many 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 years. And so they, those college guys were actually bringing that to the, you know, Canadian groups. And, and in addition, the, the uh, Europeans, you know, they were doing tons and tons of stuff that we weren't even touching, you know, at that time. So, uh, you know, uh, finally made my way. That was six years in, in Hartford, uh, made my way to uh, to Buffalo. And, um, you know, the at that point in time, we were still not in this technology phase we're in yet. So, um, you know, I just carried a lot of the stuff that I was doing, but my, um, my experience and my knowledge with how to work with the players and coaches, uh, general managers, scouts, um, you know, what made it really effective And my focus 
you know, from day one out of grad school, honestly, was if I could do a good job, if I could do a really good job with nutrition, um, sleep and recovery, if I could teach those things and I could, you know, um, put some things in place where the emphasis was on getting really good at doing those things well, then we could have success over, you know, uh, basically over 100 games per year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I brought that to the table and, um, you know, and, and started to build on that and expand on it, you know, the best that I could. Well, let's follow up with that, because I think that that's something that even in the college level, people still struggle with quite a bit, you know, and, and that, that kind of triad of things that occur outside of the weight room or outside of practice, you know, I mean, there's always the old cliche, well, we don't control the other 23 hours of the day and they have to do this stuff, you know, that people bring up all the time. So what are some, some things that you saw from, you know, your time from Pittsburgh moving up to Connecticut and then back over to Western New York that, uh, that either progressed or changed or improved as you got going and some, some ways you were able to communicate? I mean, because that's a real different group of guys. It's like 84, 85, so Mario was still playing, right? Yeah, he started just, he was just starting up at that point. Yeah, yeah, so you had one of the best players ever to don ice skates there. And then Hartford was in the mix for, what was it back then? Was that the, were they the Prince of Wales conference back then? or Adams Division. Adams Division, yeah, that's right. And yeah. then, I mean, your time in Buffalo, I mean, it's, if it wasn't for Brett Hall cheating, we would have won a Stanley Cup. Yeah. So, I mean, it's... <laughs> No goal. I'll never forget it. Uh, Neither will anybody who's west of Syracuse. (laughs) So, yeah, let's run through that. Tough to swallow. Tough to swallow. Still to this day, you know, 30 years. And really, all I wanted to do was put a ring on the finger and just ride out of town. And, um, yeah, that's still tough tough to swallow, that one. Um, However, you know, it's a great question because literally it is amazing, the difference. And I'll give you a... um, a couple examples. When I first started in Pittsburgh in 84, 85, um, the, um, the traditional methodology for the players was, like I said, they get there, go to practice. After practice, the, the guys uh, went out to lunch. And lunch didn't entail, you know, pasta and chicken and, you know, vegetables. And lunch was 8, 10, 12 beers. And then, you know, they would get home for, for dinner, but basically crash. And that was it. There, there wasn't a lot of emphasis, and that was, and I, and I'm, I'm just being honest about it. We, that was the culture, you know. They, the guys, guys went out for, and, and then, you know, guys would have to make excuses if they, you know, if they had something to do, they, you know, or they didn't want to go, they'd have to make up some excuse because it was the bulk of the team. Most everybody would just go to lunch, and it would end up being, you know, lunch. But you know, they'd have have lunch, but then it'd turn into three and four and five and six beers. You know, not so good for. You know, hydration, not so good for, you know, obviously recovery and everything else that goes along with it. So that, you know, obviously was something that we had to address and we had to get, you know, corrected. And I'm not so sure that we were so successful initially with it. But over a period of time, by talking about um, nutrition, analyzing diets, we actually used um, a, a, a product called Dine Healthy. Now, today, you know, most of these computerized programs are apps and the apps are easy to use. And, you know, we encourage, you know, especially in my last couple of years with the Sabres, encourage our guys to load those apps on their phone 
And actually, we had the ability with Coach Me Plus to go in and look at those guys' meals and say, hey, look, you're not getting enough carbohydrate. I mean, our major energy substrate is carbohydrate, and you need more of it. You're only taking in about 48% of your total calories from carbohydrate. We need to bump this up more. Well, we were doing the same thing back in Pittsburgh using a, a, a software, a computer software program called uh, Dying Healthy. And, um, you know, it was interesting because they had no clue whatsoever about, you know, macronutrients or anything else, carbohydrates, fats, proteins. What do the carbohydrates do? What are the proteins for? What are the fats for? So you really had to, like I said, you really had to do uh, a great deal of educating. Um, you know, you had to say, you know, the, you, you know, in order for you to be able to compete and get those 28 shifts in a game, you know, you're going to be all right for your first four, five, six. But by the third period, you're going to be running dry. And, uh, you know, and you, you know, give them examples. You know, it's like getting in your car and driving back up to Sudbury. Well, you're not going to make it, you know, the last uh, period of the game. You're just not going to make it. You're going to run out of gas. So, um, you know, we, we used all these analogies and we taught. And when we got into the point where, you know, the, where, what are we doing with all these calories of alcohol, you know, and where do you think that alcohol ends up being in terms of, you know, utilization and everything else. And so uh, we turned the corner with it. We did. You know, there was a lot of uh, a lot of uh, guys that began to change their their habits and, and that kind of moved its way into in the entire setting. Uh, we at that time, we didn't have budgets for. Uh, feeding guys we didn't you know in the NHL we didn't have we didn't have team breakfasts we didn't have um, team lunches we did have pregame meals you know especially on the road but we didn't have them for our home games so a lot of this stuff was um, you know that you see that is uh, part of uh, and part and pro process of all professional sports today like in basketball they're feeding them all the meals in football they're feeding most of them all the meals Hockey, they're doing the same thing. That just wasn't happening in the 80s and 90s. And uh, but we had to go through the process of teaching them how to um, eat properly, and then how they can prepare their foods at home when they're not on the road. Um, and then we gave them menus and various different things to follow when they were on the road. And so um, I think we made you know a lot of leeway with it. Our our our, our percent body fat, you know, at training camp my first couple years was up in the 13s and by the time I left there uh, four years later our average was around 10 so we had lost three percent fat and we had increased uh, our fat-free mass the average the team average uh, weight at that time was like 178 believe it or not the average in the NHL right now the average is over 200 um, but you know in the league at that time it was like 178 180 and, you know, when I left, we had, you know, we were around 183, 184. So we, we had kind of did that real good thing where the fat free, the fat mass was going down and the fat free mass was going up and, um, we were successful. So, you know, literally when you, when you, when you talk about nutrition, uh, uh, how do you measure it? You, you measure it through body composition. That's how you measure it. And because our, our fat-free mass was going up and our fat-free mass was coming down, we knew we were successful with teaching nutrition. In terms of, you know, recovery, you know, that was going to take a lot longer to get um, coaches particularly to understand the value of it. During the 80s and um, where, when I was at Pittsburgh, we were still doing two-a-days uh, at training camp, and that was not going to change. Um, so we really had to find, uh, you know, ways to – 
you know, communicate with them um, uh, and try to teach and educate, uh, you know, how we can properly recover, especially when you're playing three games in four nights or four games in six nights. Um, and the travel at that time was also, um, it was not charter, you know, it was commercial flights. And, uh, so, you know, it was, it was an uphill battle and, and, and we, we, we fed off trying to get it to a point where, you know, whatever way we could educate and move away from the traditional type stuff. And we, and we made, we made some leeway with it for sure. That's interesting. And I, I think that a lot of people would be surprised to hear those stories of, uh, of the bus trips around the Northeast and such that, that occurred back when we used to really have winter too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, that's, but, that's right. Um, but it's no, I think that a lot of that is really interesting, especially too, when you're talking the evolution of the care of the athlete by the, by the organization. Now, a lot of this, I think is players association based. Um, but, but the, provisions of those meals so as that became wider and widerly accepted um how did you see that impact uh the boys up there in buffalo it's a good question now uh, you got to remember what i was talking about with pittsburgh the the athlete itself has changed we talk about sports performance and strength and conditioning coaches and how we've changed and how we've adapted to everything um the culture itself has over the years has changed so much uh in, in the 80s, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have, you know, there's a lot of things that have gone through the process. The exposure to um, what LeBron James is doing, you know, today with the athletes of today is, is front and center. They can pick it up and get it on any tweet. They can get it on any Facebook. They can get it off of, uh, you know, social media in general, but they also get it in newspaper articles all over the place. He's wearing a whoop band. He's doing this. He's doing that. You know, um, we didn't have a lot of that in the, the mid 80s and, and mid 90s up to that 10, that 10 year point. There wasn't there's always been media, but the media direction wasn't so much in the area of, you know, sports performance, so to speak. And um, so these players today, you, you got to be well versed in everything. I mean, you got to fully understand this because they're on the they're on the net. They're looking they're reading stories. They're doing research themselves about how to, you know, how to. Um, reduce the chance of uh, groin tears or, or, you know, whatever. And, you know, so you have to be, you have to stay up on top of things and you got to be well-versed in talking about every aspect of sports science. And um, that's so much dramatically different from the eighties and mid nineties. And um, so, you know, when, when, uh, when I got to, to Buffalo and we moved from the odd into the, um, into the, what's now called the key bag center, um, you know, we had no weight room in the odd. There was basically a spiral staircase up um, to to a weight room that was, uh, you know, literally the size of a sandbox. And um, there was a old universal um, machine in there and a couple Fitron bikes. And probably nobody even knows what a Fitron bike is. <laughs> um, and that was it. And so, again, we were at, at a stage where even though players were training in their hometowns and away from the, the facilities of, of, uh, and in, they were, the, the exposure was greater. We still had to build something and we had to build it and, and, and create an environment 
in this new building that um, would bring um, the seriousness of how to prepare and be ready and then um, improve performance and reduce chance for injury. And we had to bring that to the table at the Keyback Center. And so just the exposure of the athlete with the information that's out there changed things dr dramatically. And if you think about it, there was, you know, when, when you talk about today's technology and you're talking about, you know, HRV, you know, we used to get up and take our, our heart rate in the morning, you know, guys just didn't do it. Even if you asked them to, you know, let's get that, get your heart rate in the morning and let's, let's see what your resting heart rate is. Well, now you have HRV or you've got quick recovery tests, depending on what you're doing. You've got internal load, you've got external load, you've got um, BBT, you've got, you've got these different things that are so different than what it was in the eighties and nineties. And, and they're all familiar with it. So they're familiar with it by virtue of where they train in the off season or by talking to other professional athletes, um, whether it's in their sport or outside their sport. And so, you know, ideally everything that we, we had accomplished, um, early on with the Sabres just kept on rolling and growing and growing and growing into a place where, um, you know, we, you know, basically, um, designed it so that when they walked in the room, they knew exactly what we were, we were doing. If we were going to do a functional movement screen, if we we're doing body composition, if our lift involved, you know, some velocity based training or using our tendo units, you know, um, if it was, you know, a power workout or endurance workout, you know, what were we doing? And some guys had workouts that they had to do every day, even if it was just one or two, um, um, recovery lifts or uh, prehab work um, somebody and, and so that's why coaching plus became so important to us is that we we wanted to be able to report on everything that they were doing and we wanted to collect it and have it in one um, place and be able to show this dashboard and group report to our coaches and to the individual player and it became essential for us not to be able to be rummaging through um Excel spreadsheets or manila folders out of our uh, filing cabinets. And there's nothing worse, and you know this too, Jay, you know, there's nothing worse than a general manager tapping on your door and saying, how's so-and-so doing? You know, if he's asking about a player, then there's he's concerned about him. There's some concern. Or he wants to, he's going to trade him. Something's going on. He's not asking just because he's, generally speaking, just curious. There's a reason. And if you can't have, if you can't turn your, your laptop around and say, here, here's where he's trending. He's trending upwards. He's trending the same. He's gone down. He's not improving. You know, we needed to really make that um, quick and we needed to be able to grow, you know, with what we were doing on a day-to-day day -day basis. And we were doing a ton of stuff, you know. So the growth of that was incredible, I guess is what I'm saying. No, that's fascinating. That is absolutely fascinating, and that all started back in Pittsburgh with a, a legal pad and a piece of and a, and a pencil. Yeah, and you know, you know, my my first day at Pittsburgh, I had there was a sports drink called Exceed, and it was you know I had done all my research out. You know, we we Gatorade was popular obviously at that time, but um, it wasn't given to the the uh the uh, national hockey league teams yet in other words they weren't providing it free you know with the nhl team so i had got bought this exceed stuff and i you know i'd got the the uh, fluid replacement stuff in water bottles i got it on the bench for the first practice i was stretched out the guys i put them out there 
And, you know, I've talked to him during the stretch about, you know, hydrating during practice. There's water bottles out there, but there's also this uh, electrolyte drink that you can take in during practice. And, you know, they're all listening, shaking their head, even though some of them were, you know, off in the dark, not listening. Um, and I'm, I'm finished. I'm going to get ready to stretch the second group because there's, there's the 80 guys there. And we got, you know, we got probably three groups going. At any rate, all of a sudden, I hear this stick coming down the hallway and it's just slamming the stick and, it, and the guy's yelling out my name, Dougie. And it's the head coach. And he yells out, I don't want ice cubes. I don't want water. I don't want any of that electromagnetic crap you got out there, <laughs> meaning electrolytes. And and behind him is the equipment manager with a shopping cart. He's got all the stuff that I had filled up and he's rolling it behind him with his eyes like this. And I realized, oh my gosh, what am I into here? What have I got myself into? You know, uh, they, the, 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 like I said, the culture was so different. And so, you know, we go from that point to a point where we actually, and quite honestly, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but where we introduced Pedialyte to, you know, the sports scenes, so to speak. We had a player, uh, his name was Curtis Brown. He had, uh, it was actually in 1999, you can go back and read the articles on it, it's really cool stuff. Um, he had uh, an infant, a little baby, and got the flu, and he came to practice one day, and he just, you know, I said, you need to get some Pedialyte, you know, for your kid, you know. And, like, a day later, he gets uh, the flu. And he comes in, he's not feeling good, he looks terrible, and he said, should I take that Pedialyte? And I thought to myself, why wouldn't he? So I called Ross Laboratories. I said, what, you know, can, you know, is this, is this something we could, our, our, our players could actually use as a, as a, uh, a really high-level electrolyte drink that replaces fluids? Absolutely. And so from that point on, we were in the Stanley Cup Finals that year, 99. The guys were actually taping up the bottles so that uh, Dallas wouldn't know what kind of electrolyte drink we were drinking, you know. Um, and that was, I, I don't know of any teams before that that were using Pedialyte as a, um, as a fluid replacement or an electrolyte replacement thing. So, you know, um, we, we, uh, we did some, you know, you go from that point where you're talking about this, this coach who had no clue and didn't want water, ice cubes, water, or electromagnetic crap on the bench to, to a point where, you know, we we actually were spearheading a a, a, uh, a the use of Pedialyte within our our uh, our athlete profiles and programs. No, that's awesome, man! And then that was a heck of a team in '99 too. Yeah, yeah, we took it right to the end. And like you said, if it wasn't for a foot in the crease, we'd be potentially wearing Stanley Cup ring. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows how the city of Buffalo would have handled that too? I mean, you know, they desperately. Needed needed it then, but they especially after the the uh, the Bills four years, you know, yeah, it would have would have been phenomenal. Would have oh, been yeah. phenomenal. Oh yeah, it would have. Uh, Niagara Falls might have been flowing the other way. I mean, it might have just you know <laughs> might have been insane. Um, so listen, let's let's go out with this with with such an awesome journey, and you're batting lead off here in a couple months at the seminar. What can people expect? Like, what are we looking at when it comes to discussing your, your voyage with hockey and what you've what you've seen through that what can people expect here july 21st 
Well, you know, part of my presentation with hockey measurements and analysis is looking at everything that we collected from an internal standpoint. In other words, um, heart rate, um, player load, and how it affected performance with regard to um, uh, how we curved our practice structures, how we actually developed our practices based on our internal loads. So when you're playing, you know, we knew exactly what every player, it was an individual player load number, and we knew what it cost them for a, a, a very hard practice, a hard practice, an average practice, or recovery practice, and we, we knew where we could go. So we actually structured, you know, our practices based on our, uh, our load, our player load. And, um, you know, that was something just totally um, – different than we'd ever done before. And so that's, that was the, you know, the basis of how we, we went about doing that. We looked at, you know, the body composition of the player, um, how we wanted to feed them, how we wanted to take what it was costing them in each of these practices and make sure that we were getting uh, that glycogen back in the muscle. So it's just taking all the information that we were using and determining how our practices would be, you know, how well we would be prepared for games and travel. And, uh, and that's the, the premise of the, of the, uh, uh, of the presentation. Um, however, there'll be a, a lot of stories just like the one I, I, I told you because, um, you know, I think essentially what, what it boils down to is that, you know, when you're in it for, for a long time, um, you, can, you can talk about, you know, how things were and how and where they're going and how we have to kind of hold on to some of those things from back there, um, you know, and and also grow with things. But essentially the bottom line is, is that we have to be good educators and we have to be good at coaching the coach. So, no, that's the uh, – in essence, that's what I'll be talking about. Oh, that's awesome. I can't wait for it, man. I, and, you know, having an understanding of where we've been and where we're going – I think people so often overlook that, like, and, I, and, and I've talked this with my assistant, like, so many people want to take things that people have done all the work for, and they want to be like, well, I want to put my, my spin on it. And it's like, like, the example I give him is, like, people love to change how they progress to the depth jump. Like, do you really think you're smarter than Yuri Verkashansky? Like, do you think he didn't think of that? Like, dude, dude, he... He did it forever. Like, this was his whole life. Just do what he did. And when you get to that point, then you can change it. Yeah, right. Then you get creative. Like, the, the book's written, you know? Like, don't change the story. Yeah. Write the next chapter. And don't, it's, yeah. don't try to pave a road that's already been paved. It's, you know, there's some things that you can use with that. And, the, and you can branch off it. You can make some different roads. But the stuff that's already sound and it's good sound science, it's uh, evidence-based, it provides you with the information that you need to have to, to, uh, to train and elevate performance levels. But when you start to try to uh, um, do things that or elevate it in such a way that brings it away from it, then you, you can create more problems than you're, than you're helping. No doubt about it. Well, not Coach – Super excited to have you here in a couple months, man. This is going to be absolutely awesome. And yeah. uh, this is a killer talk. It'll be up Monday, man. People are going to love it. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Yes. Good talk, Jay. You too. Thanks. And a huge thanks again to Coach Me Plus, a sport performance specialist and founding coach and 2017 seminar presenter, Doug McKinney, for sitting down and talking with us today. Guys, I mean, he, he's seen it from the ground floor all the way up to where we are now. 
some awesome nuggets, some great information. Coach, can't thank you enough for being so candid and open and honest with us today. Again, guys, and it, at the end of the day, it just comes down to building relationships and having good communication skills with everyone that you're involved with. All of these monitoring things seem to come back to that, and I, I love when you see certain commonalities like that. So, Doug, thank you so much. Super excited to have him on campus, two guys, for the 2017 seminar coming July 21st and 22nd here at the University of Richmond. Make sure you check out the page and get your seats now. But, guys, I hope you enjoyed the talk, and if you did, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. Again, guys, just trying to spread the word and get great information out to all the coaches out there. So if you haven't subscribed on iTunes or Podomatic or YouTube yet, please go ahead and do that. If you did enjoy it, hit the like button, hit the share button. We greatly appreciate you guys for doing all that. And we also appreciate everything you guys do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.